All right, we're rolling. Welcome back to the podcast. I apologize. My voice is going to cut in and out, but luckily I have uh, a very charming guest with me today, and this is Mr. Ernie Paquette. Uh, He is a uh, former restaurateur in Nashville, Spanish wine enthusiast, I think rock star as well. He has, uh, we're sitting in his house in Kingston Springs outside Nashville. Um, It's one of the coolest houses I've been in a long time. I've got a pretty good feeling that uh, he has some great stories to tell. So, um, before we kind of get into the meat and potatoes of, of, of Spanish wine and your journey with it, maybe just, uh, give us a, a little quick background of, uh, how we ended up here at your table or more just how you ended up in Nashville. Well, I chased a beautiful girl here. Uh, her name's Deb Paquette. Uh, she's a chef owner of Etch and et cetera restaurants. Um, she was just a salad girl when I met her. And, uh, she was uh, she was up here as the banquet chef of the Holiday Inn, or not, excuse me, it's the Holiday Inn now, it was the Sheraton uh, way back in the day, and uh, fell in love with this girl, and I've been here ever since, came up for a two-week vacation, that was, that was all she wrote. That's so. a great story, that's a great intro. What, uh, so at this point... Did you have an interest in wine and food, or did it did your relationship with her sort of grow grow that? Well, I was all my mom was a great cook. Okay, um, so I was raised. Uh, my dad's French, and so we we ate some fairly daring stuff that a lot of kids that I grew up with wouldn't eat, and. Uh, you know, teachers were always uh, jealous of the uh, brown bag lunch I was bringing to school. <laughs> some escargots, moisture, uh, something like uh, that. <laughs> Jarlsberg cheese. Yeah. And, uh, so, um, <clears throat> you know, so as, uh, you know, a 20 something here in Nashville, um, I did like good food. Um, and I started out, you know, my wine, you know, other than horrible sweet stuff that I drank in high school. Um, was basically uh, like the Chilean stuff, Conqui Toro. And back then I could buy Cabernet by the case for $2 and a quarter a bottle. <laughs> what year is this? <laughs> uh, 1982. Nice, okay. <laughs> and so there began the love affair. And then after various bartending jobs, I was a bar manager at Hill, Hillwood Country Club. Um, and then uh, got away from the business for a while, um, but always still loved wine. Um, did some collecting, and then in 1997, she and I started our own restaurant called Zola uh, on West End in the Vanderbilt area. Um, and we did that for 13 years together, and um, I got my level one psalm, and, and, and we did extensive traveling while we had the restaurant because... It was really important for my wife to get inspiration from, you know, the cultures that we were featuring on our menu. Mm -hmm. And it just so happened, you know, even though I'm French by descent, um, I learned to speak Spanish in high school. And so uh, I really fell in love with Spain. And it's an incredible country. I've been four times. um, And one of those trips was a grueling industry wine trip. (laughs) <laughs> and it's sort of that if it's Tuesday, this must be Sevilla. And, you know, we'd party with winemakers until 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. And then 7.30 wake up call, 8.30 on the bus, or we will leave you. 
And I did, <laughs> I remember coming out of one hotel with a bag in each hand and watching the bus. Thank God it was one of those narrow Spanish streets. <laughs> it's and time and to catch up. The bus was backing up. I was like, wait, wait. <laughs> so, um, so I've traveled around uh, a good part of the country, um, both uh, on that industry trip and then also in Deb and I's, you know, personal vacations. And uh, it's an amazing country. It, it has so much diversity. Um, just each uh, area has its own culture, its own traditions, its own cuisine, its own wines. Um, you know, the people are fantastic. They will just bend over backwards to share with you um, you know, their proud heritage of food and wine. And I had the absolute best line on our last trip, which was in 2008 when we were up in the Basque region. And the Euro conversion was horrible at the time. Mm -hmm. People would say, um, they could tell we were American because I'm speaking to my wife in English, but I'm speaking to the servers in, in Spanish. And eventually they'd say, what are you doing here? Because the euro, it was like a dollar sixty-five to the euro was horrible, mm. and there were no Americans there, and I the best line was, "Estamos peregrinos de la cocina y los vinos de España." We are pilgrims of Spanish food and wine, and the next thing you know, the guy's leaning over to the bartender, whispering something into his ear, and then all of a sudden. Here come these platters. <laughs> because each area, whether it's Asturias, País Vasco, um, Galicia, uh, Extremadura, Catalan, they are so proud of their regional specialties that they want you to taste it. And they say, oh, well, you might have had that over in you know, Galicia, <laughs> but it's nothing compared to ours. And... You know, they're like right now uh, around San Sebastian, there are more Michelin starred restaurants. No matter how you divide it per capita, per square mile, than anywhere else in the world, and that includes France. Wow. And it is incredible. We, uh, on our last trip in seven days, we ate 17 Michelin stars. Oh my God. <laughs> and my wife. Did you? <laughs> by, by like day four, you know, I'd be like, all right, honey, let's get up and go. And she'd wake up and go, do I have to eat and drink again? I'm like, yep, we got 130 reservations. It's an hour to the restaurant. Come on, chop, chop, let's go. That, I can't even imagine <clears throat> the uh, <laughs> the high from that must have been pretty hard to uh, to come back from, come back down from. What, what as far as Michelin star restaurants, <clears throat> being present in Spain, was that um, is that something of a more occur a, a occurrence in the last twenty years, thirty years, or has it been that way for a long time? I like Obeli, I believe, definitely garnered a lot of attention as an, an innovative restaurant in, um, in, well, the, in Catalonian culture. But I mean, is is it has it been around for a long time, or is this a recent phenomenon? The cuisine has been fantastic for decades. I mean, for centuries. Yeah. <clears throat> Um, basically the, the kick into that, you know, Michelin star era has probably been over the last 20 years. Um, 
probably the greatest innovator in Spanish cuisine was Ferran Adria. Mm -hmm. And with his restaurant El Bui. I butchered it. Yeah, I said Bui. You said Bui. Sorry. And, <laughs> and so um, that was basically, you know, that broke the dam. And then all of a sudden the world got to know, you know, the little secret that I, you know, share a little bit, but that the Spanish cuisine is just so incredible. And in all parts of the country. And, and it's amazing how different the cuisine is from Valencia to Asturias. Um, in the South, there are no vegetables. You'd kill somebody for a, a, a wedge of iceberg lettuce. <laughs> but then you get up North and it's literally the vegetable basket of the country. Um, you know, the jamón is amazing, you know, the Grand Reserva Pata Negra mm -hmm. um, just literally melts in your mouth. And so that's sort of in the Southwest, in Extreme Adore. Well, of course, it's all around the country. You know, you, it's their national dish. You eat it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. <laughs> um, but, you know, you've got incredible seafood um, up in Bigo and um, Galicia. Mm -hmm. um, the the shellfish is incredible um, from the percebes which are the uh, uh, barnacles to the razor clams to the whelks I mean it's just it's fantastic um, you know great fish uh, over in San Sebastian mm -hmm. um, you know and then you've got and, and I always joke about paella is sort of like a uh, a snowflake there's no two the same. You know, when you travel around the country, you go from having those primarily seafood ones around Valencia, which is known as, you know, the, the world capital of paella, to when you start to get up into the mountains, um, you know, it's more chicken, duck, rabbit, mm -hmm. you know, m m pork, you know, more meat-based. And... Uh, so we just, we love the cuisine. The flavors are incredible and they have influences from, from, you know, many different countries. You know, there's the Moroccan influence because Spain was invaded so many times. You've got the Roman influence and, and it's, uh, it's amazing. I was in a, a, a spot, a great wine area, Bierdo. And so that's where the Menthia grape is, is um, grown. Mm -hmm. And uh, that area has some of the most beautiful Spanish women because they have the olive skin, but either blue or green eyes. And it's because where the Visigoths, the Rome, the uh, Vikings and, mm -hmm. and the Celts came down and they turned the Romans back in the third century AD. And so uh, it's uh, an incredibly diverse country. Um, they are such a proud people, um, and what's amazing is basically the, the subclimates, I mean, I won't say microclimates, but subclimates around the country lend themselves to incredible expression um, in grapes, um, but just different grapes, you know. So, you know, Tempranillo is the workhorse, um, you know, then in uh, Navarra, um, you know, you've got Garnacha or Grenache. 
Um, you get down to the, you know, the pre-rot, it's, you know, cabs and carignan. Um, there's uh, so many amazing white varietals that come from Spain. Um, when you're around Penedes, you've got Charello and Parayeda, the two grapes that uh, go into making cava, but they make those in still wines, and those are fantastic, incredibly dry, you know, great acidity. Um, and then, you know, as you start sliding down the coast, you get uh, uh, Moscatel Seco, which is one of the most amazing seafood wines I've ever tasted. Now, it's, it's Moscatel. Mm -hmm. Muscat, but it's vinified dry, and it's one of those wines that I say gives you the fruit head fake. Um, when you smell it in the glass, it's so grapey. It says, "Oh, I'm gonna be sweet," mm -hmm. and as soon as as soon as you take that first tip, sip, it's not. Well, you get the fruit on the front palate. But then it finishes completely dry, and it's it's a mind warp. I, I, I love it, and it is a fantastic pairing for seafood, you know, mm -hmm. fish. Um, you know, and then you get around to, uh, you know, up on Galicia where you've got your Albarino, Rias Baixas, um, you know, a, a great crisp white that, you know, pairs well with shellfish. Um, you know, you've got your Rueda. Um, and, uh, you know, so that's, uh, Viura and Verdejo, um, you know, and that's, that's sort of the, within the central part of the country, Rioja, and, um, and, it, like, when I started, the beginning of my true love affair with Spain was when we started our restaurant in 97, and it allowed, it gave me verticality, um, within my wine list because in 97 I was probably Spanish wines were so under the radar mm -hmm. that I was getting like 82 grand reservas Jesus <laughs> you know so it, it afforded me verticality and and where you know being young upstarts in the in the restaurant business um, I, I couldn't afford either older Bordeaux's or to, you know, buy Bordeaux's and, and lay them down to when they were ready to drink. So it was always a great offering to that Bordeaux drinker who's usually savvy enough to know that he likes good, you know, Grand Reserve or Riojas. And over the course of time, I, I sort of fell off of that heavily extracted, overly oaky thing and started just falling in love with the Ribera, you know, the Ribera del Duero and, you know, Pesquera and, you know, uh, Alejandra's is great wines. And then, you know, Pre-Rot came on to the, uh, uh, on the radar and they just once they because Spain's DO system um, Denomination de Origin um, <clears throat> is incredibly rigid in Rioja 
and it, it is a rigid system otherwise, but as each of these new DOs came, you know, online, yeah, um, they, they figured out that they wanted to do different things, that they didn't want to do it like they do it in Rioja. You know, over two years in Oak and then six or eight years in Bottle. They wanted more lively wines, um, wines that would, you know, uh, pair well with, with their cuisine. And, and so it's, I mean, it, it's one of the greatest marriages of, of food and wine, the, uh, the entire country. What, um, <clears throat> just for anybody listening as well, I'm sorry, my voice is getting worse. <laughs> I apologize. <clears throat> the DO itself, for anybody that's curious, just referring to a designated wine growing area where you're going to go ahead and, um, God, I sound terrible. <laughs> it's, it's similar, it's similar to an Appalachian yeah. in France or an AVA in America. <clears throat> Thank you. <laughs> so it's, it's just a, a wine growing region that uh, has uh, quite often its own set of laws or regulations that uh, determine how uh, wines may be um, produced uh, in order to uh, hold that, that uh, denomination. Okay, per- thank you. After, um, <clears throat> out of all the trips you've taken, is there a region of the country that speaks to you more, that, that you love visiting or that you find yourself thinking about uh, for the food culture, wine culture, possibly the fishing that we touched on before? That's a great story as well. Um, I really, I really like uh, Pais Vasco, which is the Basque region. Mm-hmm. Um, cuisine is amazing. Um, it, it has some struggling Atlantic salmon runs, which they've been closed a lot. I was there in 08 and they did not allow any fishing just to allow the, hopefully to allow the fish to rebound. Um, it's got great surfing, um, which I enjoy and it's got, uh, you know, great wines and, and they're, there are just so many incredible restaurants that, you know, the wines are, uh, you know, wines from all over their country are available there. Um, you know, you've got, uh, I mean, some of the most stellar restaurants in the world. Mm-hmm. Arzac, Echibari, Akalari, um... You know, the Guggenheim Gastronomic Restaurant, um, you know, there's, they're just, you can't throw a stone without hitting, you know, a Michelin one star. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and it's also wonderful because you, you do get to eat vegetables. <laughs> um, I, I do a lot of gardening and so I, I love my vegetables and, if you spend a lot of time down south, uh, you do start to miss vegetables. You know, it's just such a big meat culture <laughs> down there. Um, you know, which is great with, you know, with, with the wines. But, uh, so I would say, uh, you know, the Basque region, 
um, you know, because you do have some influence um, from the Basque region of France. Mm -hmm. um, but there's incredible, um, you know, ch great cheese making there. It's just the whole food scene is just so spectacular. In the, at each of these restaurants, you can you can buy, I mean, the very best wines uh, from around their whole country. And what I love about it is, and, and I had so many conversations and relationships that were struck up over a glass of wine. And it, quite often, the gentleman at the table beside us would say, Conoce los vinos de España? You know the wines of Spain, because they'd see what I was drinking. And I was drinking Pescara, Vega Sicilia, <laughs> stuff that I was drinking on their wine list at less than what my wholesale cost <clears throat> was back here in the U.S. Wow. <laughs> so I was just like a kid in a candy store. And... Um, so I would always respond, ah, oh, solamente un poquito, just a little bit. Tomo un copa? Would you like a glass? And they, oh, see. Sí. And then next thing you know, I had this amazing friendship. I had people uh, literally adopt my wife and I, take us out to, uh, to see, uh, the, this was in uh, Pamplona, <laughs> take us to see uh, uh, the Pelota Championship, um, which is a handball. And um, just having a wonderful time with these guys, just because he looked over and he saw, wow, this guy's drinking good Spanish wine. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's, uh, like I said, people will go so far out of their way um, to embrace you and to show you their culture. If you have a genuine desire to learn, I mean, it... I've never found a country that is so warm and accommodating. That's a, <clears throat> I feel like I've heard that before as well. And that's a, a very exciting and reassuring thought, just considering I've <clears throat> never been there myself and it's someplace I'd like to get very soon. Um, <clears throat> if you're giving advice to somebody getting into Spanish wine, where would you guide them? <clears throat> well, probably your best start. Um, and, they, and they're going to be on the sort of the, the affordable end of things would be the Monastrells um, from the south. So um, that would be Alicante, uh, Yecla, UTL Requena, um, uh, that whole, the, the sort of, uh, not the Costa Brava, but from basically Gibraltar up towards Barcelona. Um, so on the eastern Mediterranean coast. Mm -hmm. um, and they've gotten a lot better than they were when I first, you know, started getting into them. They used to be very rustic. Um, now they're doing, you know, more modern, um, winemaking technique. So, I mean, that's a good start. Um, the Garnachas out in Navarra, um, Campo Viejo, those, um, those are great. And now you've got areas, 
um, Toro, Salamanca, Extremadura. Um, they are ripe because those are hot, dry areas. Um, and uh, so it's nice sort of entry level. I mean, even the stuff from Torres um, uh, over in Penedes, uh, you know, they're... Sangre de Toro, the mm -hmm. Gran Sangre de Toro, you know, there's a lot of Grenache or Ganacha. Um, those are very accessible. Um, the Ribera del Duero is fantastic. I mean, it's probably uh, the Ribera is probably my favorite than the Priorat. And then probably my third favorite area is Bierzo, and that's over in the northwestern corner, mm -hmm. um, almost to the uh, Compostela de Santiago, which is the um, the way of St. James, which is a pilgrimage route, which nowadays is more just like the European Appalachian Trail. Mm -hmm. And uh, and Bierzo uh, can be expressed in a number. Uh, excuse me, uh, Menthia, which is the grape, mm -hmm. um, can be expressed in a number of different ways. It can be, you know, an easy quaffer, or it can be a beast that requires, you know, braised oxtail or a T-bone, a porterhouse, a ribeye. I mean, there are... Menthia can be just briary, you know, similar to Tanat, mm -hmm. um, you know, or Petit Verdot, you know, just big, brambly, chewy, mm -hmm. grippy wines. Um, so, but, yeah, around the Ribera del Duero, there's, you know, I would say that's sort of your mid-range... You know, pricing, um, great stuff, you know, Pescara, um, you know, just so many great producers out of there. And, you know, a couple of names to um, keep your eyes open for, uh, Palacios mm -hmm. um, is a great one. Jorge Ordonez, um, you know, if you see their name on that back label, you know, very akin to Kermit Lynch in France. Okay. Yeah, you know, it's you know it's gonna be good. <laughs> okay, favorite. <clears throat> if we're talking Ribera del Duero, um, your for the people at home that want to maybe go pick out, pick up some wines. They want to go into their wine shop. They want to ask for Ribera del Duero. They want to ask for um, Priorat. <clears throat> what would you suggest cooking at home to go well with these? Just like maybe um, a layup. You know, like something that's an easy. Or, or not even easy, but let's just say something you like to do on a semi-regular basis as a oh, pairing. Okay. Um, so the bigger the wine, and, and I may be oversimplifying this, but the bigger the wine, the more fat you want. Because mm -hmm. acid seeks fat for balance. Of course, yeah. And so, I mean, just something simple to go with a big, bold wine ribs <laughs> there you go you know um or you know grill uh you know t-bone porterhouse strip ribeye um you know the bigger the wine the more i personally you know with 
you know, European, you know, old world styles that tend to not quite have the ripeness that, you know, our American cabs do. Um, you know, I tend to avoid filet at all costs. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a great tender piece of meat, but it's not as flavorful as, as you know, the one, hey, fat is good. It's flavor, yeah. And so, um, you know, and then I would look at, you know, sort of your treatments. And so, you know, of course, you know, garlic, garlic is great. I mean, one thing that I, I love doing, it's uh, when I would teach uh, these uh, classes, uh, Sommelier's Guide to Spain, I would do Rioja braised oxtail. And I would do it with, you know, garlic, tomatoes, apricots, golden raisins, um, mushrooms, onions, carrots, um, and then literally submerge it in Rioja and braise it for like six to eight hours. Jeez. And it literally would fall off the bone. That with, you know, some mashed potatoes, you know, it was, and, uh, you know, truffled mashed potatoes. And one thing, if you, uh, next time you go to Spain, great truffles at like a third of the price of French truffles. So wow. if you go, uh, Barcelona is a great city. Go to uh, Mercat de San Josep at the top of the Ramblas. It's a big market. Mm -hmm. um, and both the Spanish blacks and Spanish white truffles are, are very, very good and inexpensive. Um, and, you know, there's, uh, you know, there's so many great, uh, you know, food pairings with Spanish wines. It's... Uh, hard to beat yeah <laughs> um i'll ask you one, one more question before i completely lose the ability to speak <clears throat> the running of the bulls nobody's ever done it <laughs> that experience you were describing to me briefly how much fun was that <laughs> it is an amazing experience um i would encourage anybody who's going to run watch videos um, don't be drunk. Um, stay to the inside corners. Um, but even if you're just going to view, um, prepare yourself because um, the Feria del San Fermín is a, a drunken hot mess that makes Mardi Gras look tame in comparison. Um, basically, you dump uh, a million uh, rowdy Americans and Northern Europeans onto a sleepy little Spanish city, and uh, it becomes kind of messy. And uh, I do encourage folks to uh, uh, wear a... Uh, pair of shorts oh you can and during the feria you gotta wear white shorts white shirt red scarf uh but make sure that your uh back pocket where you keep your wallet uh buttons 
buttons. Okay. Yeah, there there's tend to be some pickpocketing going on there, but it's it's amazing uh, experience. I mean, there's a lot of culture other than just the running of the bulls. There's the parade of uh, El Gigantes, these uh, uh, traditional uh, giant heads. Um, pretty amazing. Um, they're great, uh, great parties. Um, it's uh, it tends to be sort of a um, uh, a, a really uh, raucous sort of college age uh, thing. Um, there are you know sort of more elevated uh, experiences I'm within sure. <laughs> within the the, the festival. Um, and and what's nice is you can get away from the craziness. Um, you know, uh, Pamplona is a beautiful city, mm-hmm. um, and so it's uh, it's quite an experience. I'm I'm a huge fan of uh, Ernest Hemingway, and uh, so it was something that that I had to do and go and experience, and uh, you know that. And but I'll have to admit, it, I'm. I'm more comfortable uh, finding some of the rivers that he fished, and you know, being a little more chilled out than uh, at some <laughs> massive frat party. He said you did five of the eight. That you've done uh, five of the eight that he fished. I, I have. I've fished five of the eight rivers, uh, everything from the Noguera Palaresa in Catalan, um, the Segre, the. Oh, uh, um, there are a number of rivers um, that he fished, you know, just uh, uphill from uh, into the into the Pyrenees Mountains from Pamplona, mm-hmm. and there are amazing. Um, they call them turismos, but they are basically loops, driving loops through the mountains. So it's like. Uh, um, you know, it's a little bit like over in the Smoky Mountains where they have, you know, these loops. There's the dragon's tail and mm. things like that where you go out and, you know, you drive uh, through some of the most incredible scenery. We went and visited a little village called Roncal, um, which is famous for um, a cheese that's made un- under the same name. And after visiting the village of Roncal, we took a, another loop of this turismo back, mm-hmm. and it brought us through the high chaparral uh, in the Pyrenees. And you would have sworn that you were in the American West in the <laughs> 1800s. And actually, a lot of American Western films were filmed in this high chaparral in Spain. Wow. And it is just some of the most stunningly beautiful areas um, that I've ever seen. And so, you know, and and that's, there's this particular loop takes you up uh, into the Pyrenees where um, uh, Hemingway uh, wrote a little town called Burguete. Mm-hmm. And um, it's where uh, he wrote uh, uh, For Whom the Bell Tolls. Wow, that's incredible. So it's, uh, I recommend to everybody go to Spain, um, learn to speak some, a little bit of Spanish, just try, be genuine in your desire to, to learn about their culture, 
and they will love you for it. That's incredible. Great words of wisdom. Um, thank you so much for lending your time to <clears throat> discuss Spanish wine culture today. Um, I would uh, love to have you back on again in the future and dive a little deeper into this, especially when I have a voice. <laughs> that would be nice. Um, so thank you so much for um, doing this episode with me today. Well, it was a pleasure. Thank you. <laughs>